0: You may have seen our guest today under the Hollywood lights of hit TV shows like Lucifer, Casual, True Blood, and even the film Jarhead alongside Jake Gyllenhaal, one of my favorites. (laughs) But this Hollywood actress, writer, producer, and director has a deeper calling and a story of her own to tell. She is a certified trauma-informed recovery specialist and a sex and love addict in recovery. Inspired by her life experience, she is the host of the podcast secret life and her article i'm a sex and love addict here's how i realized i had a problem was published in the huffington post in march of 2020 issue and received over a million views please welcome brianne davis Hi. <laughs> <laughs> we are so excited wow, to you have you me- here <laughs>
1: Literally, you guys made me sound much cooler than I am. I was like, oh, <laughs> I sound pretty cool. I think you I are guess. pretty
2: cool. <laughs> I have to be honest though. I when I was doing my research for you, I am I'm a fan of the Lucifer show. And when I put together you who you were in your character, you were honestly one of my favorite characters on that show ever. I'm oh! like, where are they gonna go after her season? Honestly. She played she played Lucifer's mother, which which was basically like the universe. Like she was the whole universe. It was crazy. It was amazing and you were great in it (laughs) thank you
1: yeah I love being on that show and I I just you know I love being an actor and and bringing characters to life but Mm -hmm. honestly the work I'm doing now in sex and love addiction while being an actor has is next level of you know using my gifts to help other people and it's Mm -hmm. not about the spotlight
2: I, but thank you for saying mm, that. Yeah, no, but I, I and I can completely relate. So I'm a professional singer. I still am, and I've I've mm-hmm. toured the world with different artists and everything like that. Never in a million years did think my life would take the pivot that it has in this direction. But when ah, right. you experience something in this realm that has such a profound difference on you, it is like a calling. It's it's not something that you can ignore. And I that I think that is so true about you. Like it really seems authentic, and that's why we knew we had to have you on today. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, because listen, I, like the Huff Post article, I was never going to come out as a sex and love addict. Mm-hmm. I was never going to write a book. I was never going to have a podcast. That was not in my line. It was a working actor being on set, mm-hmm. shooting six on history for two years. And then mm-hmm. this calling came when I hit a decade of recovery in sex and love addiction. And it was like, write this book, create this show,
2: Mm.
1: write this article. And I I just let, I just went with it at the same time as working. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Mm. Well, let's, let's jump right into your story. So in your article, you painted this really vivid picture. You immediately talk about your rock bottom moment. And Mm -hmm. you basically Mm -hmm. describe how you're standing in a driveway, trying to stop two men from literally killing each other in front of your house. Can you tell tell us, tell it, let's jump right into that, that moment and, and how you got from there to here. Oh my God. That's a
1: journey. Cause here's the actual truth. You know, when I, that was like the rock bottom, but unfortunately as addicts, you know, your rock bottom goes lower. Mm. So that to me was like that first rock bottom where I was like, something's really wrong with this picture. Something's not okay. Like this situation, even though it sounds like intense and hot and glamorous, two people are standing in front of you who you've lied to, you cheated on, you've Mm. manipulated, you use for attention, validation, Mm. your self-worth, and you're hurting them. And there's I was so disconnected from that reality because I've been living in fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, having one, one person in another city while having a like someone where I live. and And doing that, you know, as an actor, we travel all the time. So it was like collecting, you know, victims all over the world is what it felt like. And yeah. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I had that float out of the body moment when you're like, whoa, what is going on here? Yeah. So that was many many bottoms for me, and I put a lot of the bottoms in the book, so you can see the different variations mm. of how sex and love addiction can play out in people's lives.
2: Yeah, yeah. So for for our listeners, can you you know what exactly is a love and sex addiction? Like, how is that different from somebody who? just likes to have sex. (laughs) Just loves love. Just loves love love and love. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe even they have like orgies. (laughs)
1: Yeah, orgies just likes to get off. I get it. Listen, getting off is like the best high in the world. Falling in love is the best high in the world. So if you can just imagine if you have an addiction to that, meaning Mm. that's what you're always searching for, to get off, to Mm. not be in reality. So how I describe sex and love addiction is very different. It's it's on the same pendulum, but it swings. So sex addiction, you know, is the physical release, one night stands, you know, swiping left and right multiple partners, all of that. And then the love addiction side is, you know, falling in love easily, becoming jealous and possessive, you know, going from person to person to person, multiple people at one time, chasing that fantasy, that soulmate, someone's going to fix me. Mm. Then going into love anorexia, when it gets too intimate, you go the other way, You, you run away, you say, no, I don't want this, you know, the push and the pull. So really, it's a combination mm. of both. So at one moment, you could be head over here, in love with someone. And when it becomes too real, you run the other way and start with intriguing with someone at the coffee shop. So it's this, a lot of our society, I would say 80% of our society is sex and love addicts, to be truthfully honest, just with my recovery over 13 years. Yeah. And I just feel it's a problem that people don't want to look at. Mm. And it it all underneath is that you are not okay being alone. You're a fear of abandonment. You're a fear of intimacy. You have low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. You you All your self-worth is about ego, materialism, usually what the outside looks like, what other people can give you. And on top of all of it, there's a bunch of secrets and lies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the gist of it. Yeah, the secrets <laughs> well, and oh, lies.
2: <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I, I have to be totally honest. I've been on the receiving end of someone that I'm, sure, was the sex and love addict. and Oh, I'm sure. But it, no, what it looked like, it was the craziest thing. I met him when I was on tour. So it was very easy, right? To like mm-hmm. have people in multiple cities, as you would say, because we're on the road. I was his road girlfriend. I come, I've met his mom. I met his family. Like mm-hmm. he had a place in San Francisco he would bring me to. And then I caught him when I thought he was cheating on me then when i get a hold of this other woman she's like no we've been together i'd been with him for i'd known him for 4 years been with him for 2 she's like no no we've been together for 9 years and i was like <gasps> i'm the other woman <laughs> but wow. i didn't know and then he flipped the whole script on me i got this email from her he told me you knew the whole time, you're this homewrecker. And I was like, this is crazy on a whole nother level. I was like, just both you can have him. I don't want to talk to you guys anymore. You're crazy. <laughs> like it was, it was good for yeah. you. I had to put in a hard boundary. And he tried a couple times to come back in my life. I said, look, they always do. I said, I for- they always do. I said, I forgive you. I do. I forgive mm-hmm. you and I've and I've let it go. But I don't ever want to be in communication with you ever again. Like that's just never gonna happen. Like you need to leave me alone. Wow. It was, it was, it put me Good in job. therapy though. Like it definitely messed me up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause it was like yeah. at the level of, because he like lived with her in one place and then had a secret apartment that he would bring me to. I was like, that is professional. <laughs> Fuck. That's crazy. So yeah. No, matches,
1: but that's that compartmentalizing that is so easy. So normally if you look at addiction and with sex and love we're addicted to people mm. people right yeah. and alcoholics mm-hmm. are addicted to alcohol so if you can imagine you walk out in the world and there's mm-hmm. vodka bottles everywhere that's what it is Oof. like give me attention flirt with me make me feel special and make me feel loved mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and if you get it from one person, sooner or later, that's not going to be enough. So no matter how perfect his girlfriend of nine years was, it was never going to be enough. She was never going to be perfect enough for him. He has this empty hole inside of him. So then instead of breaking it off with her like a normie, he decided to compartmentalize and start a whole new relationship with you. So it didn't have anything to do with you or her. It's him. Just like there was an emptiness in me that yeah. I floated out of my body and go, something's wrong here. Like, this is not what I want to be doing till I'm 80 years old. Like, yeah. this is something I, I have never been in love. I thought I was in love, but really it was lust. And mir- they were mirroring for me what I wanted to see. Mm. And I would turn into whoever I thought they wanted. And then when I got over that and it wasn't fun anymore, I would transfer that to somebody else. Wow. So I just wanted to say if you're cheated on or you've been the other woman, like you just said, there's nothing you can do because right. they compartmentalize. So it's really hard to see what's real and not real.
2: Oh, I definitely
0: questioned oh, yeah. my own sanity
1: towards the end. I was like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We're manipulative little folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so well, but I but I also think that it takes a tremendous amount of courage to not only admit that you're an addict and to do the work to recover. Right. Mm. And to, and then the worst. Yeah. So can you, you know, for anyone who's listening right now that is like, oh shit, maybe I'm a loving sex addict and they're listening to this, you know, what would be your best advice? Can you share a little bit about your recovery story from anyone who's listening that might make a difference for them?
1: Yeah, first of all, it's brutal. I'm gonna say it's the hardest addiction to get over. And I'm not saying that because I did it. I've just been in recovery for so long. I work with people that are heroin addicts and they can't get over their love addiction or sex and love addiction. 30 years of recovery and alcohol, and they can't stop seeing that person that they're obsessed with. And the number one reason people lose mm-hmm. their recovery in any other addiction is relationships. So it's the PhD of all other addictions. Ooh, and yeah. It's the one you get attached to as a baby. So we have attachment styles. So at four years old, you already know and see healthy relationships with your parents. So if your parents don't have a healthy relationship, if it's not modeled for you, the likelihood is you're probably having some of these issues. Mm. So the number one thing is just saying, hey, do I do that? Get a, grab a book right now or go, go online and fill out the 40 questions, S-L-A-A, type it in. They'll come up answer them. If you get more than five, that pretty much says you might have a problem. It's like, do I chase after relationships? Do, do I go from relationship to relationship? How Do I have sexual partners that I can't remember the number? It's Do I have sex with people I don't even know their name? There's all these different things that you can fill out and say yes or no. Or read my book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. I know that sounds like a pitch, but I (laughs) wrote it so anybody could pick it up and read it and go, oh, fuck, I did that. Oh, she does that. Oh, my mom does that. Oh, my dad does that. Or you can read Facing Love Addiction. That's the only other book that's, gives you more information, but it was, it was written in 2003. So I tried to write something that modern people can get on and go, oh, I'm addicted to social media on top of it. That attention, that validation, Mm -hmm. the DMs, escaping, picking it up when my partner's next to me, DMing with somebody else. So I really tried to modernize the literature that's fun to read that you don't want to kill yourself over because it's brutal. But my recovery and my sex and love addiction, I probably cried nine months. And I kid you not nine months every day. I didn't have sex with my live-in boyfriend. I, did, I didn't. I had to get rid of all my guy friends. I couldn't talk, text, email any men whatsoever. And what that would look like, I would go to a restaurant. And I couldn't look at the waiter because I was always giving off that flirtatious energy. And I was just like, I'm a flirty person. This is my personality. And it's like, no, you're using that person to make you feel good. So I knew the moment when I got my six-month chip, I was at an In-N-Out burger. And this pimply-faced 15-year-old kid working at the drive-thru, I pulled up, getting my burger, and he goes, like he... Found me attractive. And I kid you not, you guys, it was like heroin shot up my body because the power and control I felt over this 15 year old kid was intoxicating because I hadn't had it for six months. And it was this moment like, oh my God, I'm going to be this the rest of my life. And I cannot turn back because I don't want to be on my deathbed, never connected to another soul on this planet. Mm. And that's what I was doing. Wow. So it's brutal. It's you cry <laughs> every day. You think you're dying. You you just want to not be on this planet, most likely. Everybody in your life, you're either in mesh with using every friend I used, every family member. It was codependent. It was just a hot, it's a hot mess, this recovery. But mm. you know, 13 years later, I'm an old timer. I get to help people go- walk through that darkness. But it's like um you're being reborn again. Is how I like yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, and what I really he- heard in your sharing is, is like you saw that <clears throat> because the need for that validation was so strong, it was preventing you from having the deep connection that you truly wanted with like a life partner, and yes. and even like your family members. And that I think that's really oh, insightful. everybody, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, and connection with myself because I really realized in different layers of doing the work and the recovery and therapy, I had major therapy because you really need therapy, groups, support systems, all these boundaries for yourself. We call them bottom lines or things you don't do anymore. And I really got to see, oh, this is what I need to get rid of. This is what I'm doing now. This is what next layer. This is where I have to clean up these friendships and all of that. So it really got t- for me to slowly peel back the layers and do the work and not all at once. Mm. Yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I, and, and I, I feel think like, even I fa- go, ahead. go ahead, sugar.
0: <laughs> well, you have a quote and this is going to be a different conversation. So I'd love to hear the quote.
2: Oh yeah, I was just going to say there there's a quote that I found that you said that I that I that really I think drove this point home and 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 you said for the first time I didn't feel so broken or alone. I just didn't get the tools to have healthy relationships. And I think that's a very important distinction, right? That there are tools that can get you to where you can have these healthy relationships that you're striving for.
1: Yeah, it's the most, it's so true. So you're not broken. You're not alone. You're not going to be doing this forever, but you have to walk through the darkness and get to the other side. And I also say you have to burn the whole house down pretty much to then rebuild with a a stronger structure. So if you look at my life now, I'm married. We've been together 18 years. I have a kid. Mm. My family and I get along. My parents, like that was such a toxic situation. Mm. All the friends in my life, are there for me. It's an equal friendship. Mm. It's not a, It's not like take, 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 or someone doesn't show up for me. I realized mm. I chased a lot of friends that weren't available. Everybody I in my life was unavailable at some quality that I picked so it would reinforce that low self-esteem so then allowed me to keep using people. Do you see it's this cycle of shame and especially as a woman and a, to say you're a sex and love addict versus like, it's the worst to say because people just have this twisted mind about it but then to really look at it, it affect every relationship in your life and you were never available or really intimate with anybody and it it was such a beautiful moment for me to mm-hmm. stand there and say this is this is this is what my life this is all the damage i've done and damage that has done to me but it stops with me it mm-hmm. stops
0: with me and that's what the work
1: mm-hmm. it takes right yeah
0: so as, as intimacy coaches, Lindsay, mm-hmm. Katie, Katie, and myself, Katie, who's not here because she's on maternity leave, we're celebrating you. She's probably hey, listening hey. to this episode <laughs> after she's back from maternity leave.
2: Yeah. She just had a baby like two weeks ago. Oh, <laughs>
0: so cute. That's yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> it's her second one Hang too. Hang in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, you know, to some degree, I think that... uh a common denominator across the human experience is, uh, this, this need for love. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And so just even for everyone listening right now in our community that comes here for intimacy, advice, intimacy, coaching, really deepening the intimacy in their relationships with themselves, with their partner, with their partner, they're looking to manifest whatever degree they're on their coworkers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a really important takeaway from this conversation is to, to, to recognize that um this can show up without being a sex and love addict. And we see it with our participants all the time that are like want to be right and mm-hmm. want to be loved a certain way and aren't willing to be responsible for making the internal shifts to create that safe container for love and intimacy to possibly exist. You know, and so I'm just like really um like honing in on that aspect of the conversation where a lot of things you said I could like relate to. There was yeah. a, you know, and as I've as I've had my breakthrough in my uh, sexual empowerment journey, realizing so much where I controlled a lot of relationships, even friendships um, and loverships. And I'm not a sex and love addict and I can still relate. And I think it's yeah. because love is so, um, it's such a fundamental core pillar to being human is this experience of of love that we, we all need literally to survive. We all need love to survive. But we're, yeah, it's part of our species. We need it. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a
1: basic need. And if you don't get it in the right way, especially as a baby, right, just with your parents, you're already at a, at a, a depletion. So right. it's an extreme. Every Everything I say, everybody's like, yeah, I text people and they don't text me back and I still chase them. Those friendships that <laughs> mm-hmm. don't show up and I still am their friends. Those partners that I feel right. are half foot in, half foot out, or I do the same thing and I flirt with his friends and I have a bunch of guy friends and blah, blah, blah. blah. Like all those things, but there's an extreme that you can do if it's affecting your life, if it's affected if if you have drama in your life, that is the number one key. If there's drama with your friendships, you might have this issue. But yes, this is a natural thing where we are all striving to get connected and love to somebody else. But there's a healthy way and there's an unhealthy way. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> I can totally relate right. to that <clears throat> before I met my now fiance the the relationship I was in before Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm listening to you speak and I stayed way longer than I should have. And I accepted things that I definitely should not have accepted. And, Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because now in my current relationship, we are, we, we were, we're not currently now, but we were doing therapy before we got engaged. We're older and good. And and we were doing the, um, attachment theory. We were working with a therapist Mm -hmm. that really works on your attachment styles. And I'm anxious. I'm gonna have an anxious attachment, and he's avoidant. So it's like the perfect storm. Whenever (laughs) the perfect storm, and but I found someone who was willing. I think, I think he'd be a. He he had a father who had a severe addiction and spent Mm. most of his life in prison. You know, and my parents are married, but I experienced things, and I think finding a partner who was willing to like work on this side by side with me made all the difference. Whereas I think in the past, I've picked men that, you know, we talk about, you know, releasing shame and self-worth a lot on this show. And part of my journey inside of this show has been really stepping into my self-worth and what I am willing to put up with and not from friends, from partnerships, from all of that. Um, And, you know, so like I said, we do talk a lot about releasing shame and embracing self-worth. Can you Tell us about your journey, because I know that you mentioned that like a lot of this was about releasing shame and stepping into your self-worth. What, what do you have to say around that inside of your own journey?
1: Yeah, it was really slow. <laughs> <That's> the journey <laughs> Because, you know, we want to take these self-help courses or work with someone for six sessions or right. whatever. This journey, especially if you have any addiction in your background, the likelihood is if you have a grandfather, great great grandfather was an alcoholic. Every generation, if they haven't cleaned that up, mm. formed in a different way. Workaholism, a doer, someone that always wants to be doing, overeating, sex and love. It it translates down the lineage. So, mm. your question is like, I had generational trauma that wasn't cleared up that. I felt it was so overwhelming because my great-great-grandfather was a drinker abuser and it went down the generation line to me. So it was already shameful to say in my family, like I have this issue and no one else wanted to say Mm. their issues. So it was breaking that cycle of addiction, abuse and all of that. And then on top of it, society putting on what a woman has to do to get attention, validation, Mm -hmm. how she posts, then shaming her for putting their sexuality out there. So it's all on top of that. So what I did is I had to protect it. I had to protect that healing part of me. So that's why I say, if you start this work, please don't go have a podcast. Please don't go (laughs) write an article for HuffPost. Please don't write a book. Wait till you get through some of the healing to put yourself out there because that you don't want anybody's opinion of your healing to take that away from you. So I really protected my healing process and it was really slow. It was really like the layers and I wanted to hurry up and I wanted to be better and I wanted it to be over and I wanted to get back to like my life. And for the first year of my recovery of two therapy twice a week, meetings all the time, doing step work with my sponsor, doing outside work, doing life coach work, doing all that stuff, trauma work, body work, Reiki. Like, I literally yeah. do everything yeah. Yeah. to get this trauma, to get the shame, to get it out of my body. I say we have to dig through the shit <clears throat> to get to your goals. Yep. Like, what we bury all the trauma, things we do, people, you know. And... It was really slow and you have to be okay with it because growth takes time. Your psyche has to go through layers. You can't just, speed up and get to it so you can find your partner so you can get married so you can have a baby or you can, you, whatever you want to do with your life. That's not going to like. <laughs> yeah. fix it. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. Not going to fix it. No, getting married, jumping into another relationship, having kids, none of that fixes anything. It actually makes it worse. Yeah. So I say right. wherever you are, pause look inward and say, do I have some healing? Do I reach outside of myself? Do I have a lot of shame and stigma? Do I do these things in the dark that nobody knows about? Is Mm. there a lot of secrets in my life? Is there a lot of drama in my life? Do I get along with my family members? Do I get along with my friends? Do I even like my partner, whoever I'm with? Or am I having one night stands all the time because I don't want to commit to anybody? Like, look at these issues and say, where am I holding in that shame? Where do I hate myself? Because we all have that shadow part of us nobody's on top of the world. Listen, I work with the one percenters that have everything you can ever imagine. And it's not enough. Yeah. So if you think I get that car, I get this, I'll feel better. If I, if I look a certain way, I'll. it's like, it's never enough. So I really just allowed that healing of the shame, healing of the, the inside out to happen. And it takes a long time. Yeah. It takes a long time. A long, long time.
2: It's true. I can attest to that. You know, I've I've lived in big, beautiful houses and little apartments, and it had nothing to do with my happiness. Yeah, Mm. like it's it's just really doesn't. And and Mm. yeah, that's that's. And you said something before, so I'm interested. You talk about this generational shame. Is it? Mm -hmm. Is it? Is it a? Do you think that it's a learned behavior passed down generationally, or do you think there's actually a biological aspect to to that conversation? I think it's both
1: honestly. Yeah. I think it's I think it's trauma, generational trauma, generational tra- shame, biologic where environmental even adds to it, how you're raised, how your family, main family unit is. It's a combination. Mm. So you can't look at one thing and go I'm an addict because of this. I'm a sex and addict because of this. It's just this combination that happens because I've worked with people that are parents are still together, happily married, and they have this problem and they don't understand why. But when we do all that work, we see, oh, this is your core belief. This is actually how you feel about yourself. And down your line, there was alcoholism and your mom's a workaholic and she wasn't present, mm-hmm. even though they're still happily married. So
2: it's just a combination, I believe. That's yeah. how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and in addition to all the work you do, you are also a sober coach. <laughs> and yes. and something that we get asked a lot um, for people who are whether they're taking a break from it temporarily or permanently, a lot of people are very intimidated by sober sex and don't know mm-hmm. where to start. And like they're like, I, it always takes me a glass or two of wine to like you know get into it. So like, what would be your you know as a sober coach, what what do you tell the people you're coaching to start that journey of having that sex and intimacy? in a sober space? Because I think that can be really intimidating to a lot of people.
1: You know, I think anything that keeps us disconnected from anyone, if you need that glass of wine or something to get you to do whatever it is, that's the first sign. Mm. Because you shouldn't have to use that to become sexually intimate. Mm. So I just think the first thing to look at is like, oh, I use this as a form to cope. Anything you use as to escape reality in the moment, to escape a feeling, should be a pause <laughs> for you. So that would be mm-hmm. the first step. Pause. Yeah. What are you using to escape reality? Well, I think Reality mm-hmm. meaning you with somebody else.
2: Yeah, I totally get yeah. that. But I think also I, I've heard from a lot of, you know, our coaches, they're like, it's just hard for me to get out of my head or to relax or to like put the day down and get like switch gears. Like, do you have any advice for people who just have a hard time getting out of their head?
1: Yeah, I would say focus on the other person. Mm. You're too mm-hmm. self-involved. It's about self. And the point of you being with somebody else is to focus outward on someone mm. else. Be of service to the your partner, or whoever mm. you're with. Ooh, that's good. So <laughs> focus in the eyes, you know, focus one part of their body where you can you can um get out of yourself.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I've been. Uh, I've got some new boyfriends, and it's been really fun. I'm, I'm married. I'm polyamorous. I'm, it's been very exciting. I have was like, <laughs> and I, I didn't have a, a, other boyfriends for a while. but Then the stars aligned, and I'm, I attracted some some really quality partners. In addition to got my it. husband, really fun. And um, in this conversation, I'm like, huh? Well, have I had high sex recently? Like, I'm trying, or like, you know, not sober sex. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, every, all. And potentially because they're all newer, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, there's this loveness and like just Mm -hmm. being so into them that that's the drug. And I was just thinking about how I'm like, oh, I've been having only, uh, or we're calling it sober sex, right? For the sake of this conversation, like it's like only been sober. And I'm curious to see if that desire will shift or change um, as maybe the new relationship energy Begins to disintegrate. Although in this moment it's so intense, I don't know that it feels like it'll never go away. I'm almost like, can <laughs> it, it always just,
1: feels like that?
0: I'm almost Deflation. like, can it go away though? Because this is very distracting, and I need to get shit it done. It
1: overtakes your life. That's why, listen, it I can. love falling in love. Right. I love that first touch, the first kiss, the first everything over and over. Give it to me. That's the most mm.
2: new relationship energy. World. No, yeah. see, I'm a <laughs> commitment
0: slut. I'm I don't even get I'm not even that into them until they're like, give me put some stake in the game. And then I'm like, ooh, you're going to be around for a while. Now I'm into this. Yeah, <laughs> I call myself. a. I feel like I, had, I call myself a commitment. Slut. I feel like I
2: had new relationship <laughs> energy with Ryan for like the first two years. Like it's like you just you get do. those you butterflies,
0: you know, like you're just like. So turned on by that person. And you know, actually there's been moments in my relationship with my husband who we've been together for, uh, nine years now, almost. And there's been moments over this last six months where I felt new relationship energy with him. It was like pretty situational. I think it was when I came back from Burning Man and he let me go to Burning Man without him. And I came back just like the happy, I was just like, Wait, are you my husband that let me go to Burning Man by myself? Like, oh my God, I feel like this is brand new. Um, so that's exciting that, like, that, 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 re, I feel like new relationship energy can get reinvigorated as we become, as we allow ourselves to evolve and change, we become yeah. new beings. And when we relate to people like newly, a lot of the work that Lindsay and I do is in the work of ontology, the study of what it is to be human and our beingness. Like when we mm-hmm. we the, the breakdown, I think in so many relationships is like we just relate to people the same, like as if they're like there isn't something to learn and discover each and every day about someone, oh, and no, that I can be something
1: every day from my husband of eighteen right. years, like every right. day.
0: And so with that Man. context, it's like yeah, I don't need to fucking have the wine or the pot or the thing because I'm approaching you like there's something new I'm going to learn about you, right? Leaning into the other person. And then I really love how you said that. But I do also think that to even get to that place to think that way, Bram, which is like so fucking next level, you have to love yourself. If you don't love yourself and know that you're worth, you're going to be about, it's going to be all about you all day until you get into self-love. And then it can actually be about, it could be bigger than you. Could actually be about the other person. Oh my God. Oh my
2: God. Well, well, it's so funny too, because, you know, not just in the bedroom, I always find that I am the most fulfilled and not just erotically charged, but like turned on in my life when I'm being of service.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is always when I'm the most fulfilled.
2: Yeah. Same. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, it, and see, see, a lot of people even are of service, but they still want something from mm. it. And the beautiful thing is being of service and wanting nothing. That you literally— You know, you have attachment to nothing, but you're connected to everything. Yeah, That's the place that I always try to be, where I'm not attached to the outcome. How you two show up doesn't define me at all. Mm. And I'm here just to connect and be of service and help other people, whatever that looks like, big or small. That— is what gives you the self-worth and the self-love more than any other thing you can do. Money, outside, all that, your partner, where you live, your career, all of it. Yep. Isn't what the self-love, and I'm really tired of our, and I'm just going to say this real quick, is like our society putting so much emphasis on that instead of that self-love building internally. Yeah. And then you connect to somebody else, like what was talking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Being of service is what I'm kind of getting from this conversation. Is almost it's like great. You want to you want the goal of I love myself. You want to like get rid of those like self the the some of that, those self hate inner dialogues. Why don't you practice for ninety days being of service and yep. see how self love gets cultivated in your beingness yep. and to your core. And what I'm getting too is like with the art of not being attached to getting something in return. If being of service is is about Getting something in return, we're doing it wrong. That's not the point. No, you're not that's even not, doing it. That, you're not even doing it. Yeah. You're actually just playing yeah. out that same thing that we were talking about, just in another way that's like cleverly disguised. It's like, oh, I'm, look what I'm doing for you. But like that same energy is like, we can smell that shit from a ni- mile away. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> well,
2: that, that was, the, was, that was, the, I'll just, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. I just, on that, I, that first year when I told you I didn't have sex, I didn't do, I cleaned house of all activity. I had to do that for me to cut off that validating aspect. I was of service literally that whole year. And what that looked like was, and no one knew about it, would as simple as going to McDonald's, getting some cheeseburgers and driving down the street and feeding the homeless on the street, literally saying, are you hungry here? And going, I would go and work at these old folks home at 5 a.m. and unbox their groceries for them because I had to, as I was healing, get out of self at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that would be, I always give people I work with, that's the number one thing, get out of yourself. Yes, you're healing. Yes, you're going through this hardship. Yes, you have to take care of yourself, but something else beautiful happens when you're of service, wanting nothing in return to other people.
2: Yeah. There's, there's, Mm. um, there's a book I'm reading, you know, speaking of like societal impacts on us, it's called, you're not a before picture. Yeah. And, um, the author, you know, the whole first chapter, she just talks about the history of diet culture and, and how Mm. basically, you know, she says, your looks are actually the least interesting part about you. But it has been mm-hmm. so ingrained in us to value, to have our worth be attached to our physical appearance. And it really takes a deep unlearning of that. Right. Like I'm in this conversation because I don't want to pass this on to my future daughter or son. Right. Yeah. Like it's, you know, but it's so ingrained in us. And I think that if you really want to break free from what our culture has just downloaded, like keeping I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a statement, women or people identifying as women distracted with their weight and their looks is a way to keep us quiet. Yes. Amen. <laughs> and and I th- it's true. Yeah. It, it
1: it it decreases our value and mm-hmm. only puts a value on the outside and that's what I had to break as well. I think in year 3 or 4 of my recovery My therapist literally, I couldn't wear heels. I couldn't wear the clothes I like. I had to take off all the makeup. The last thing to go was the eyeliner because she said (laughs) it was like my warrior paint for the world that kept me separate. But she was like, take off the eyeliner and go outside. Like go and just be Mm -hmm. your your natural self. And that was so hard for me to like take it all down to back to the studs. Mm -hmm. And then I could bring it back in a healthy way where I wasn't using it. Right you know as society wants me to use. Yeah,
2: it. I lo- I like to be a glam wow. queen and have fun, but it's all mm-hmm. it's all about your intention behind what you do in life, the actions you take. And and it's a deep level of work to have you be truly of service and truly aware and not just accepting what's been societally like shoved down our throats our whole lives or what's been generationally shoved down our throats by our ancestors. You know, there's this br- there's this breaking of the the cycle that takes, I think, deep work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A lot of deep work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do it. There's so no, do it. no point. Do it now. The If you're young, do it now is what I, I just literally worked with a 16 year old today. Oh, she's turning. Wow. She's 15 turning 16 in two days. And I'm working with her to break the love addiction that has already formed. And I'm just like, girl, if you can get this now, if you can do this work now, you save yourself years because majority of the people I work with are in their 25, 30, Mm -hmm. 40s. You know, I'm working with a 46-year-old. It's like... The other day, an, a seventy-year-old woman came in to the meeting and was like, "I wish I would have done this when I was younger. Yeah. So do it now. Peel these layers. Go to the darkness and meet yourself because that's yeah. the only place to meet yourself. Yeah.
2: And I, and I would say, like mm. for anyone, like we've all got some level of addiction to something, right? I think that's
1: yes, everybody has an is yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> like we've all got it somewhere. <laughs> we've all got we're all works in progress. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah pretty profound. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I want I wa- I want, want to give you a chance to, um, um, you have the book Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, as well as your podcast, yes. which we actually did an episode. We'll definitely be promoting that. We went on oh and talked about yes. our secrets. So good. <laughs> we actually revealed some things on the episode we did with you that we've never <laughs> revealed on the show. We were just like yeah, <laughs> I know. letting it all out. <laughs> I love it. It's such a great episode. So
1: please go and listen to it as well. It is so good. It just brought me so much joy. And (laughs) I just love connecting with other women that are standing in their truths because all of our truths are different. Yeah. Like we mm-hmm. all have a different story, but the path is the same that we want to connect to other people in a loving, intimate way. And whatever mm. that looks like for you, it's okay. For me, I can't be with multiple people. It's too addicting. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's beautiful how other people can. But the point is, it's there's no shame. There's no stigma. There's no secrets. There's no lies. And yeah. you can love how you want to love if it's in
2: a healthy way. Yeah. Yep. I think the no secrets and the no lying is like the biggest indicator, right? Yeah. You, you've got yes. secrets, that's a red flag.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, and what is the best way for our listeners to find your book? Obviously, we're going to be putting links in our show notes, find your podcast, follow you on social media. How can they, how can they keep in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Please go to Amazon. That's the easiest place to get the book, the audio book. I had to narrate it myself, which was torture. (laughs) But I'm really, really proud of it. That was another layer of letting go. I didn't realize I had this like last layer. So reading it out loud, it was really important Mm. for my healing. And I'm really, really proud of it. And I break down and cry during the reading. It was intense. But yeah, go to Amazon, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Act. You can go to secretlifenovel.com. You can go to Brianne Davis Coaching if you want to see what I do and I help people all over the world. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram at the Brianne Davis or TikTok, the dot Brianne Davis. And go listen to Secret Life Podcast. It's such a good show. We have over 140 episodes. Oof. And they're Secrets, all walks, not sex and love. They're all
2: different walks of life. So Amazing. join me. It's really fun. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you Amazing. so much for coming on today. Thank you for being willing to like, put yourself out there in such a vulnerable way because I know that it's making a difference for people and just being willing to tell your story. I know there's somebody listening right now that you just changed their life. So thank you for Uh being willing to just have this conversation in, in such a genuine, authentic way. I think it's really important.
1: Well, thank you for letting me share it because i that's my whole goal is to help somebody else. If I can help one person not use another person in some way, then I've done my job. So yeah. I'm going to cry, but thank you for letting me share my journey on your on your
2: show and your for your listeners. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Colliderati, we will definitely be putting links of everything and how you can keep in touch with Brianne. And with that, we're going to see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.
1: If you liked this and are curious about our Clit Talk curriculum, we have a waitlist for our upcoming free workshops and our Sex and Empowerment Signature Masterclass in 2022. Nothing like starting the new year guided by pleasure. Sign up for the waitlist to come tap into your pussy sanctuary with Katie, myself, Sugar, and Lindsay at www.clittalkshow.com backslash waitlist. That's clittalkshow.com backslash wait